I love doing business in the city. <laughs> hey, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today we're talking with Angel Negron. How are you doing today, Angel? Good. I've had a long day. <laughs> Care to share? Oh, sure. Um, well, I had work. I work a pretty typical office job, Monday to Friday, 8 to 4, um, which I love. And then I actually had class right after, um, signed up to take American Sign Language 2 this semester, which I'm really excited about. Uh, the first day was actually on Tuesday, but um, so the professor is deaf. And so for the first day of class, we go over the syllabus. So we always have interpreters um, on the first day of ASL class to ensure that students can't then go on later in the semester and say, oh, I didn't, I didn't understand the professor because they're deaf and they were signing, so I missed this part of the syllabus, and that's why my grade was impacted. So we had interpreters the first day, um, so we went over the syllabus, and, you know, it was pretty standard, um, got out of class early, and then Thursday was, or today, rather, was the real, real first day, learning stuff, reviewing stuff that we should have learned in ASL 1. I have actually never taken ASL 1. I skipped that class. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was actually very terrified when I showed up to class on Tuesday because I wasn't sure um, if I was going to be at the right level, but it turns out actually I'm one of the more advanced signers in the class right now, um, which is good because I definitely don't want to be behind. It's good. it's probably better to be a little ahead. Um, yeah, and that's where I'm at, so I feel I feel good about that. I feel good about my signing competence. But you do um, sign out of, you know, official class too, though, right? Yeah, so I... This started in high school when I lived in Alaska. Um, was <laughs> my... My best friend and I fell in love with American Sign Language, and we started just teaching ourselves, um, mostly going online and, and, you know, finding videos and lessons and stuff. And then we volunteered a lot at different deaf events um, in Alaska, right, um, all over the state pretty much. And so when I moved here, I became a full-time student and did not have as much time to dedicate to the language that I loved so much. Um so I fell out of practice there. Once I graduated, which was last year, um, I had time to basically rededicate myself to the language. And I am so happy and so grateful. And yeah, I'm just super excited and love ASL so much. Um, but I do work with uh, student accessibility services at UBM. So primarily um, serving students with disabilities who need uh, testing accommodations or other accommodations, really. And one of the specialists that work in the office, one of my coworkers essentially, is deaf. Um, so I get to practice with her a little bit. One of my other coworkers is also in ASL, I think ASL 3 or ASL 4. I forget what level she's at. Um, so I get a lot of practice. And because we work with student accessibility, we get a lot of interpreters that come through the office. So yes, I do, I do practice a lot outside of class, which has definitely helped. <laughs> So Alaska. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about it? It's so big. Huge. <laughs> um, do you want to share a little bit about your time there? Sure. So I <laughs> people are usually surprised when I mention that I lived in Alaska. I'm not surprised, but I am curious. Okay. 
I think you're a bit of both, but that's fine. I <laughs> was only there for three years, so I um, am a military brat. Dad was in the military. He retired actually last year, I believe, um, from the military. So every three years, pretty much my entire life, I moved. Um, and I spent high school in Alaska. And I graduated a year, uh, year early from high school and, you know, was just trying to get out of the house as soon as I could, basically. <laughs> um, and booked it straight to UVM. You yeah. Never looked back. Oh, God, no. I never want to go back to Alaska. How much was Alaska similar to the program Northern Exposure? I have no idea what that is. Moving right along. (laughs) (laughs) So, I know that you work for a local college. Um, Mm -hmm. Were you always interested in working in academia? Absolutely not. (laughs) In high school, I actually wanted to be a sign language interpreter. And at the time, my parents did not support my dreams. And they said I had to become a lawyer. And, and, yep, so I was actually on track to become an environmental lawyer when I started UVM. Um, that's not what I want to do at all. So, <laughs> as soon as I graduated and was a full-fledged adult with a full-time job and didn't have to rely on my parents, it you know it was pretty easy to just say, well, I'm not doing this anymore, and they kind of had to accept it. Um, that's a little oversimplified. A lot has happened with my relationship with my parents, but um, that's definitely a factor. Um, so now I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. I was sort of on track to um, become a mortician because I'm very interested in the funeral industry and working with that sort of thing. But recently having my passion for ASL rekindled, I also kind of want to be certified as an interpreter. So I'm not sure where I'm going to end up in the next couple of years. I would consider you a community organizer. Would you say that's an appropriate description? <laughs> uh, as of recently, yes. I was actually really excited this week. I kept telling a bunch of my friends and coworkers that I now have an official Pride Center email um, because I've been uh, doing a lot of work just kind of behind the scenes here, um, mostly uh, teaming up with Skylar and a professor from, I believe, Champlain, so many colleges in town, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was Champlain, uh, a psychology professor um, who is helping Skyler and I with uh, basically a project here trying to figure out what services and programs and and things we might offer to the aging LGBT population in Vermont. Um, Just statistically, nationally, we know that uh, they're a particularly vulnerable population. Most people are aware that, you know, older, older folk can be at risk for, you know, abuse and and people taking advantage of them. And LGBT older folk in particular um, are less likely to have family, just in general, whether people who have not disowned them or just kids, right? Um, Typically kids take on the role sometimes as caregivers or at least help and, and support their aging, you know, parents and family members. And so LGBT folk tend to have less support as they're aging. And uh, they might face discrimination in housing. So some of them have to go back in the closet if they want to live somewhere, you know, at the end of their life. So that's nationally. We don't know what that looks like in Vermont. Um, I believe there is actually a a home in Vermont that is, like, LGBT-friendly and and advertises themselves as such. So um, we want to conduct a community needs assessment to figure out what 
services are needed, if any, um, particularly from the Pride Center, what can we offer here? So I've been helping with that project and also taking over the Pride Runs group, um, as it used to be called. We changed the name to Pride on the Move to sort of encompass any sort of activity we might want to do in the future, running, you know, walking, a walking group potentially for people who, uh, you know, have sort of accessibility concerns and can't run at a certain level. If we want to do yoga, if we want to do rock climbing, if we want to go hiking, um, the, the change in name was sort of expanding on the different interests of the group, allowing us to do more. So those are the two projects I've sort of been a big, a bigger part of in the Pride Center. So, yeah. Fabulous. I think both of those are super important and much needed in the community. Kudos. Hats <laughs> off. <laughs> Do you consider yourself an activist? And if so, what does that look like to you? I do not consider myself an activist currently. Um, I think I see myself a little bit more as like an educator role, um, if that makes sense. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of overlap, and I definitely would like to be an activist. But um, I did not grow up in a family that was very politically active or politically aware or discussed anything right political. And so when I came to UVM, my major was actually environmental studies. And that particular major in, in UVM tends to be very activist focus um and i very quickly realized i didn't fit in and changed my major <laughs> but um it was more out of just i didn't know i don't know where i stand a lot of the times in politics or you know what you know what pieces of information do i really need to know um before i i feel comfortable passing my own judgment or, or expressing my own opinion on a matter um so that's just me you know, myself, I feel very unaware and very uneducated in a lot of regards um, within politics. So for th that reason, I don't really see myself as an activist just because I don't feel all the time comfortable saying this is where I stand politically because I'm not always oh, super aware of the political climate um, in the U.S. in general. I'm just not, you know, I'm not used to, I'm not from a family that uh, talks about it or, or, you know, even is exposed to it. Um, so I'm working on it, but I, no, I wouldn't consider myself an activist quite yet. Is education activism? I think it can be. Um, and so that's why, yeah, there is a lot of overlap. So you could argue that, yes, some of the education I do could be activist focused, um, or in that direction. But yeah, I, I guess it's just me personally, I feel a little uncomfortable putting on that hat because I feel too too uneducated and too unsure of myself to proudly proclaim myself as an activist. I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, I hear you, but um, then do you think that should be a barrier for people who are interested in activism? Uh, the fact that they may not know everything about um, the things that they're passionate about. Could you ask that question again? <laughs> Should that be a barrier um, to activism um, if people don't know everything about the issue that they are passionate about? I guess I'm a little confused by the question. I don't think um, it's a should or should not kind of situation. You know, if you feel comfortable calling yourself an activist and, and, I don't know, going out there and campaigning or 
joining a march or, you know, whatever it is you think activism is and whatever that means to you, do it. Um, I just feel personally that I want to be like 100% sure and 100% confident in my values and in my judgment before committing myself to activism. Again, whatever that looks like to me in the future when I feel ready to say, oh, this is where I stand and this is what I want to do. Do you feel like you've seen people take an L publicly because they got too overzealous with their activism and sort of jumped on a bandwagon that they didn't really understand or jumped on it in a way that was too heavy handed and they made some like problematic type gestures? <laughs> yes, I, I think that's partly what's influencing me. It's like, I don't want to be one of those people that like, was super passionate about this one thing and then oh you actually didn't fact check or you didn't recognize that you know even if your values or your intent was in the right place you were going about it all wrong um so that's wh- that's where I'm at. I don't want to be one of those people I want to make sure that I know what I'm doing and that I know what I'm saying before doing or saying a whole lot what can you tell me about nutritional yeast I have actually only recently tried it. It was very interesting. I mean, it's cheesy, right? It's how most people describe it. I guess it's similar to a cheesy flavor. I don't know. I don't really know how to interpret that, (laughs) but it was good. I enjoyed it. Chocolate full of uh, other spices, adobo, sazon, whatever. (laughs) I've just personally never had. I've heard cheesy things said before. (laughs) And also, it's like... I'm of a certain age. I should just try it, right? Sure, whatever that means. I mean, I'm vegetarian, so I just saw it as, oh, this might help me, you know, ensure that I get enough nutrients in the day because I know I generally do not eat enough, period. (laughs) Um, So I've been working on, on making sure I do that. And nutritional yeast, it's like rich in fiber? Mm. Protein? I think <laughs> something. No, I'm, I honestly, I don't remember. I remember. I know it has a lot of like B vitamins and I think folates and a few other, you know, things that are harder to get for vegetarians. Typically, B vitamins are extremely hard to get for vegetarians. Um, they're usually found more in, uh, or certain B vitamins anyway are found more in meat products, animal products. So if you're a vegan, um, one of my roommates who is vegan has to take a B like B complex supplements um, because there's almost no other way of getting. A lot of those vitamins. I've heard nutritional yeast referred to as hippie crack. But I think that's mostly because of its addictive properties. Uh, Like it's it's so yummy. People keep wanting to eat it. Not because it has harmful like negative health. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It was it's good. (laughs) I am. I'm not afraid to use it again. For sure. I was actually, I bought it and then I was like, do, do I use it in this dish? Do I use it in this this dish? I don't want to like put it in something and then feel like I wasted this entire dish, you know, all these ingredients because I didn't like it. So I no longer have that fear. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll put it in everything. Seems a little, a little overboard. Excessive. Yes. A little extra, you know. <laughs> You do the most with that nutritional yeast. Um, hmm. 
So <laughs> on the way here, I was listening to Ariana Grande. Where do you stand on her? No comment. Oh. <laughs> do you have any tears left to cry? I liked her when she was on Victorious. Was that an album? Mm, TV show on Nickelodeon. Oh, her acting days. Okay, yeah. yes. I was having a conversation with some friends and... Um, None of us were Ariana experts. I thought she was a Disney actress. As a oh, child. sorry, was it? No, but but I think it's Disney. No, I, I think it's Nickelodeon. I think it. Victorious. Mm, no, maybe that was Disney. We're gonna have to do some research. Yeah. <laughs> so tonight we're at the Pride Center, and um, coincidentally, they're hosting um, their weekly potluck. It's Thursday nights. Um, a word on potlucks. They're very stressful. <laughs> I actually haven't been to the one here. Um, so technically, this is my first time coming here during a potluck. I wouldn't say I attended the potluck. I haven't had any of the food, and I didn't bring anything. Um, I generally say that uh, food is one of my love languages, right? So... What, I think there's five established love languages officially, quote unquote, whatever that means. Um, but I love food. I love cooking. I love cooking for other people. Um, I, I even love buying other people food. It doesn't have to necessarily be something that I cook, but just sharing food with others, with my loved ones especially. Um, it's just one of my favorite things to do. So potlucks can be stressful because I put a little too much. Um, I overthink it, right? I you know, once I commit to going to a potluck, then I have to decide, okay, I need to make sure I find a dish that I can make a vast quantity of so I can ensure that there's enough for people to, you know, for it to go around, for people to enjoy. Um, I try as much as possible to sort of make it, I guess, inclusive, if that makes sense to say, like um, avoiding dairy and gluten and, you know, try to, try to make it vegan. I'm not, I'm not vegan, so I don't mind straying a little away from that but um considering i have a lot of friends who are vegan or gluten-free or whatever um i'll do what i can to make something that tastes good and you know pretty much anyone can have um and i also want to make sure that it's not something that someone else already brought in so i'll avoid making pasta or i don't know rice i guess some you know some of the more typical things that you can easily find at vast quantities or make in vast quantities um so it can be very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, for people who attend potlucks regularly, I think it's like um, uh, a chance to get inventive, you know? Because like you said, there are the staples that you always see. So I think in the mind of a, a regular potluck attendee, it's like, I'm going to shine this time. You know what I mean? They haven't seen this yet. I feel like if I were to do that, I'd have to, like, make it beforehand, in like, in advance, try it out beforehand before actually making it for the potluck. Does that make sense? Like, I wouldn't want to risk it and be like, oh, I'm going to try something new the day of and then end up fucking it up because I didn't know what the hell I was doing making this new dish that's, I don't know, Ukrainian. And I don't know anything about Ukrainian food. Why did I pick this recipe out of the box, you know? <laughs> and then end of the day, oh, I don't have anything good to bring to the potluck. Um 
so yeah i would never do that 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 is bad form to try something new for a potluck or a cookout or whatever it is that you're having where you're expected to bring food for other people to enjoy they're not your guinea pigs (laughs) exactly i am my own guinea pig i love that movie aside from what we've already gone over what are some things that folks should know about angel uh, I teach, teach salsa dancing, right? Um, actually, just across the street from the Pride Center, Salsalina Dance Studios on Pine, Pine Street. Um, right across the street. Yeah, quick plug. Stop by. <laughs> um, plug I've, it up. Shout it out. <laughs> yeah, no. I've been there for, what, five, four and a half, five years now. Um, when I came to UVM was actually when I first started dancing, like, in general, period, right? Um, I did not grow up dancing. Uh, did grow up with Spanish music, right? Um, salsa and, and bachata and other, you know, Caribbean, Puerto Rican songs. Um, and so when I went to check out the club, I was like, oh, I like, I like this music. I grew up with this music. It'd be fun to learn how to dance to it. Right. And pretty much instantly fell in love, stuck with it, you know, my entire time as a student. And, uh, the club goes to Salsalina for their lessons, um, with their coach, Victoria. Is that social? Is social. that the club? Social Club does, Social Club and Lounge, which used to be called Zen, which used to be called 10 other names, um, does have salsa dancing Friday nights for two more weeks because I think they're closing <laughs> again. And so uh, the DJ is actually going to have to find another venue, which is, um, you know, I'm sure going to upset some people and going to be a little sad. We're going to have a few weeks probably without a good DJ, um, good salsa music. There is one other DJ in town, um, but he tends to play more merengue and... Um, you know, some songs that you can't really salsa dance to uh, as well. So he's not the preferred. He's a good DJ, but he's not the preferred for salsa dancers um, in the community. So, yeah. So that's changing, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I'm going out of town this weekend to New York for the New York International Salsa Congress. Um, One of the biggest ones in the world, right? And since it's Labor Day weekend, there's a whole extra night of dancing usually the salsa congresses are for the weekends um so friday and saturday night being the biggest nights uh but since most people have monday off it'll kind of carry through to sunday night as well which will be really fun um i'm going there to help my instructor victoria actually promote for nick's motion uh so nick's motion is the name of the salsa congress that happens in burlington in february um so it should be february like 23rd 26th somewhere around that time um downtown it's going to be a weekend of salsa dancing, basically. Uh, what makes it a little unique is that there's salsa dancing as well as skiing slash snowboarding on the mountain. So uh, most salsa congresses are dedicated to just salsa dancing. And this one's like, oh, let's go salsa dancing. Also, there's a bus headed up the mountain. And then we can salsa dance again after we get down from the mountain, right? Um, so definitely a unique experience for a lot of even just regular salsa dancers, people that go to a lot of congresses. It's very different, right? Um, but so Congress is typically structured where there's workshops during the day, basically lessons that are taught by different instructors. Um, sometimes the instructors will perform that night. So then at night there's performances and then DJs DJing and dancers dancing for the rest of the night. Um, and that's the typical structure for a Congress over the weekend. I will not be attending the workshops this weekend. Um, just cause I'm there mostly on business, essentially promoting for Nick's motion, um, during the performances and during the, the dancing, especially. And then during the day, I'm hoping to, um, just do some business in the city. 
So I'm excited for that. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Actually, the weekend after this weekend, I'll be going to Quebec City for a different Salsa Congress. So if I haven't convinced you of how much I dance, I do that a lot. Um, going out of time, out of town two weekends in a row. Um, for the Quebec City one, I will actually be attending like the full Congress, going to workshops, taking classes, um, dancing. I'll probably still be helping Victoria because she'll be going um, and she'll be promoting there as well. But her uh, partner, sort of partner in crime for Nick's Motion, Gessley, who is based in Canada, will be there. Um, so it'll be her and him uh, sort of tag teaming that effort. So she probably won't need as much support from me. Um, which frees me up to enjoy the event a little bit more. But uh, I'll be driving up with her um, to both both congresses, both weekends, um, and I'm super excited. I know I'm going to have a lot of fun. I love her so much, so it'll be great regardless of how the dancing itself goes. I have my best friend's sister staying at my place this weekend. <laughs> There's just a random, I don't know, thing. Uh one of my best friends, Victor, is from the Bronx, from New York City. Um, and his sister, I don't know, is recently, like, weird financial stuff happened with the school. So she's going to take a semester off um, and going to come stay over here. And so she's going to stay with me for a little bit before uh, Victor figures out his situation and, and um, how she's going to stay with him. Um, but it would be nice to see her. I haven't seen her in a while. Um, so they should be coming over tonight after we finish recording this podcast. <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll start packing. Well, I'll be cooking first cause I'll have dinner and then I'll start packing for the weekend. I'll be leaving tomorrow morning actually. Um, so I'm taking a day off of work. So I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then leave on Monday. So it's a nice long weekend at New York. Um, so hopefully I get a lot of work done business wise. Work. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, an organization um, that was started in New York City called SAGE, uh, which is, um, it, it was started basically for, the similar to the project that um, I'm helping Skylar with over here, it was to support LGBT elders in the city, right? Because um, again, tend to be, LGBT elders tend to be a vulnerable population, and so I believe, if I remember correctly, um, they're having, or they just had their 40-year anniversary, you know, started around the, the Stonewall era in New York City. Um, I believe it was a a lesbian social worker and a gay psychology professor that sort of got together and started the, started SAGE, right, started the organization. And they have affiliates in, I don't know, 23 other states, and kind of throwing a number out there. They have a, a affiliates in several different states, but um, none in Vermont, actually. So hopefully um, I find time while I'm in the city to find one of their offices and visit and see if I can ask some questions, get some advice um, for how we might be able to start a similar operation here. Um, we're not sure if we want to be affiliates with SAGE quite yet. There's um, kind of a lot of requirements, and we don't know <clears throat> if their, you know, their services and their programming is exactly what LGBT elders in Vermont need. Um you know, they might have slightly different needs. So we're still experimenting with that, um, toying with that idea. So that's the business I'll be on when I go to New York City. <laughs> business in the city. Well, <laughs> well, that would be great if you could do, like, any sort of collaboration with them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a lot of resources already available online. 
Um, so without their knowing, we've already, you know, they've already been supporting us a lot. Um, but it, I don't know. I, I think it would be nice to, you know, meet someone face to face and say, all right, so you're part of this organization. Here's what the situation is in Vermont. What advice can you give us? Um, the, the process to become an affiliate is a little, I don't know, when we looked over it earlier um, online on the website, uh, we had a couple questions. So I might ask about that a little bit as well. You know, what would it entail to be an affiliate here in Vermont? Um, can we meet those requirements? Is it necessary to do the work that we need to do? Um, so yeah, I do have some questions, but I'd be happy just to meet with someone and say, what does it look like here? What's some advice you can give us, right? Um, yeah. It's always nice to have um, an expert in the field be a sounding board. That's great. That's like a wonderful opportunity. For sharks? <laughs> For Shreks? Sharks. For sharks? Is that the new one? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I say. Is it Tumblr? For sharks. I don't. What the I, Tumblr kids are up to? I don't go on Tumblr. I've never had a Tumblr. I'm surprised. I knew that would be dangerous, and so I never went down that road. <laughs> Tumblr, just as an entity, is dangerous. Is that? <laughs> no, it would be dangerous for me. Um, um, given your specific personality. Yes. Tumblr couldn't handle you, or you couldn't handle Tumblr? I couldn't. Well, I mean, we'd handle, we could handle each other, but I would be uh, kind of spiraling into it i think more often than i should be i'd like to be a bit more productive than that you know <laughs> not throwing too much shade at, at people who are on tumblr um they you know they come out with some great memes and and interesting stories and lots of fan art that i love um so i definitely still appreciate tumblr for what it has to offer i guess uh but i knew that if i had like my own account and went on it it would be dangerous and uh, i probably wouldn't leave my room for a couple of days is that similar with other social media platforms? A little bit. <laughs> What's your poison? Um, I guess Instagram. <laughs> I don't post a lot on Instagram, so I'm not super active, like putting my own stuff. But I follow um, mostly makeup artists, dancers, and like half-naked men. <laughs> so I just scroll through my feed, seeing you know inspirational dancers you know life goals some uh makeup artists that i judge fiercely and um some half-naked men that i enjoy just looking at <laughs> what else angel social media wise life wise life wise um i recently downloaded an app um, I think I don't, it has a weird name. It's like D Dalio or something. And it's um, supposed to be sort of like a diary thing where you can keep track of your mood. Um, so, you know, at any point in the day, pretty much, I can do it multiple times a day as well. I open the app and say, I'm feeling this right now. And this is what I'm doing at this time at this day. Right. Um, and so it can track sort of your mood. So I think it's it was probably originally designed for people who um wanted to figure out you know what is making me unhappy in my life right now um so that they can maybe fix that right or other way around you know what what makes me happy what do i what do i happen to be doing when i feel good let's do more of that right um so i have that not because 
necessarily I need to figure out what I'm unhappy about and what I need to avoid, but because I sense that I'm sometimes out of touch with my own emotions. Um, and so I'm going to see, I don't know, I might not use that. I just got it to see what it would look like, um, how I might potentially integrate it in my day-to-day, um, just to sort of check in with myself and see if I can be a little more in tune with my emotions, because uh, I don't believe I am. <laughs> Not very often, anyway. Yeah, on the in the Myers-Briggs personality test, um, which I don't really agree with in a lot of ways. I don't agree with personality personality tests in general, um, but there was an article that I saw sort of recently about someone talking about what it is like to be more of a thinker personality versus a feeling personality. Um, and so the the reason I don't usually like personality tests or personality, you know, quizzes, things like that, um, is because personalities are fluid, right? By nature, we, we behave differently in different situations, right? Partly influenced by our emotion, partly influenced by, um, you know, how tired we are, partly influenced by the people we're around, right? Because you're not going to interact with a customer, right? If you're if you're working in customer service, you're not going to interact with a customer the same way you interact with your boss, the same way you interact with your best friend, the same way you interact with your mother, right? They're all going to be different. And, it, you know, you wouldn't say that you have a split personality disorder because you look like a different person in each situation and you would very much... If someone recorded you, you would look like probably a different person in every situation, right? Um, it would look like a different personality, but you're the same person. It's just that personalities are fluid, right? Um, there's only so much that can be constant in one living, growing, breathing individual. Um, that being said, it can be useful to um, some people just to take a look at different scales of where am I, right? Where am I in terms of introversion versus extroversion? It can be good to have a, a sort of understanding of where you lie so you can understand this is why I'm tired all the time I'm spending too much time around people I should maybe take care of myself more right um so it is useful um I'm just very critical and skeptical of a lot of personality tests um but there's thinking versus feeling in terms of um essentially how people tend to react to situations right um so if I think one of the examples it gave was if a husband's wife you know came home was like oh my my mother just died and she's crying she's grieving right and the husband is more of a thinker uh personality so his automatic uh sort of rational thinking side is like okay what can i do to relieve stress it's more more of a problem solving mentality and so his reaction was all right i'll cover the funeral costs (laughs) which seems kind of cold kind of impersonal but in you know in his perspective he's like what can i do to sort of ease the burden of what this is you know for this loved one right and so if she's more of a feeling personality she'll probably get very upset and say you know why aren't you comforting me what what that's so cruel to just be thinking about money right um and so i i i think i identify a little bit more with thinker personalities um you're paying for the funeral (laughs) yes (laughs) uh that's why i want to be a mortician anyway (laughs) but you know i i think I can distance myself emotionally from uh, a lot of situations again why I think I'd be fit to be a mortician (laughs) um I can be very analytical of certain situations um when I should be a little more maybe intuitive a little more emotional um and so I'm aware of that and constantly trying to self-correct for that um 
particularly in very emotional situations, right? Um, I work with students with disabilities, and sometimes their disabilities affect how they manage their own emotions. Um, and so I remember, was it last, I think, spring semester, um, I had a student who just couldn't focus on her exam. You know, whatever it was that was going on in her head, she just couldn't focus. And um, it was kind of getting to her, and she was she was kind of breaking down. There was definitely a lot of anxiety. Um, and I had to, I was, you know, with her for probably two hours straight trying to figure out, okay, I want to logically consider what can we do right now, but also I don't want to pressure you and I want to meet you where you're at and I want to comfort you as much as I possibly can in this, you know, semi-professional setting. Um, so it's tough to, to balance that, right? Um, but I am constantly aware and trying to just come up with the right decision, the right reaction for people, right? Um <laughs> so yeah so that is why i downloaded this app <laughs> long story short uh i downloaded an app to try and be more in tune with my emotional side right um but that's where that comes from this sort of awareness that uh certain situations might require a bit more of an emotional a bit more of an intuitive touch and some situations require a bit more of a rational and logical thinking um sort of way of of dealing with it that sort of goes back to the love language comment you mentioned earlier. Yes, you said I guess. food. <laughs> you said food. You think might be your love language, <laughs> but it's it's interesting because well, you know the love languages for those who don't know. Do you want to just like speak about what that entire phenomenon is? Right? Yeah, a little bit. So so love languages I think are similar to the understanding of like it's good to understand where you're at so you can better relate to people right so love languages is specifically similar to the myers-briggs kind of their personality yeah, similar types. to you know if you can understand your own personality you can maybe self-correct for certain imperfections or or know where to strengthen you know different parts of your personality right and so love languages are similar if you can understand how you operate in a relationship you might be better equipped to uh deal with the conflict and the fighting and the tension that might arise from uh, partners having different love languages, right? So I think there's five. Um, acts of service is one of them. Gift giving is another. Words of affirmation. Um, touch and quality time. I think that's all of them, right? Um, and so, you know, quality time, that one is pretty self-explanatory. It's just spending time with someone, whether it's actually talking or whether it's, you know, I just want to sit next to you while I'm studying or while I'm reading or just watch TV together, right? Um, so just quality time, whatever that, it, it can look differently for every person, but that's more or less how it's divided. Um, acts of service, so doing something for someone. Um, so if it's covering the funeral costs or <laughs> um, that might be a little bit more like gift giving, but, uh, you know, just essentially if, if you see that someone's having a, a hard time with work or with school or they're really stressed about something, you say, okay, let me, let me do this for you. Let's go out to dinner. It's my treat or let me, you know, I don't know, do the laundry for you. It, you know, it can take a lot of different forms depending on the relationship, but that's acts of service. Gift giving, also pretty self-explanatory doesn't necessarily mean that you spend a lot of money on the person um it could just be i found this thing outside and thought of you you know <laughs> i don't know maybe a child who's a, more of a gift giver might think of that i found this bug and it's red like your hair and so i thought of giving it to you you know <laughs> again different interpretations for these um touch 
doesn't have to be sexual. Um, but most human beings require a certain amount of just physical contact to be happy, right? Hugs are great. Um, consent is necessary. But <laughs> once that's, you know, established, hugs are, are um, really comforting, right? And what was the other one? Words of affirmation. So just whether it's telling someone they look beautiful every morning, regardless of how crazy their hair looks, <laughs> or um, it doesn't necessarily have to be about looks, right? It can be just, you know, I think you're a really smart individual, or um, wow, you're so thoughtful, and I, I appreciate you as a person, right? Words of affirmation. And so um, the use behind that, the sort of practical application is if you can understand what you do to express your affection for someone else um, and you understand how they express their affection, there's not going to be, well, there's going to be possibly less tension, right? So someone who maybe values quality time is in a relationship with someone who values gift giving, right? And so their partner is constantly, you know, buying stuff for them and giving them things. And it's like, I don't want things. I just want to spend time with you. Right. And so that's where a lot of the the conflict can arise in, in saying, you don't actually love me. You're just buying me all these things, you know? Um, so understanding what you need to feel affection and how you express it is useful in a relationship. Um, similarly, I might be a little critical of that model. It's a little, um, I don't know. I feel like it might be a little childish and there's a lot of things and a lot of ways of showing affection that overlap the different, uh, uh, love languages. Um, some that might just be hard to classify in any of them. Right. And so cooking, right. Is sort of how I self identify as, as being one of my love languages. You can have more than one. Um, it's the understanding. And so, you know, I don't know if it's, is it an act of service? You know, if I'm cooking for someone, is it gift giving? If I'm buying them food, is it, you know, like it can be a lot of different things. Is it um, quality time? Because I enjoy cooking with other people as well, not just cooking for other people. Um, so it can be a lot of a lot of different things. Um, so I just kind of put cooking as its own thing, its own love language for myself personally. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's my understanding of love languages and, and how I use them anyway. It's quite the hot topic these days. <laughs> think there's a book or something i think so yeah but but that is interesting how it relates to the myers-briggs like you know you're trying to do your best to express your affection or your love for another person and they just might not get it because their Mm -hmm. style is different yes similar to dance if you're dancing two different styles it's hard to communicate right (laughs) one would imagine yes (laughs) i don't know just feel like throwing that in there (laughs) <laughs> go on <laughs> i don't know there's not much more to say to that but um i don't know they're different even within the same title like um <clears throat> excuse me tango there's ballroom style of tango there's argentine argent um argentine tango argentinian tango i don't know how you want to call it but um the one that's derived a little bit more from its roots right argentina and if you get an, one who dances an argentinian style of tango and someone who dances a ballroom style of tango they'll have no idea how to dance with each other unless they're like really advanced and just good at dancing in general and good at connecting and and feeling the other person out. But they just start from such different places that it's almost impossible to, to have a really seamless dance with someone who does, you know, with two different, two people who do different styles. That's hella deep. (laughs) I love dance and I study a lot of different styles. (laughs) No, I definitely, I value dance. Um, 
both in sort of a lessons in, in the kingdom part, right, in terms of just being aware of your own body and your own emotion and your own self, as well as how you connect with other people, right? Because when you're partner dancing specifically, connection is a very, very big, um, it's just a big topic, something that you really have to spend a lot of time practicing and studying before you get it right and figure out what is a good connection for you and what you want in a partner and how you want to connect with different dancers. Um, but that's just me and how I view dance and how I and how I like to teach it as well um, as much as I can. Even though salsa is, you know, one specific style of dance, I try and teach technique and principles that are just about body awareness, right? Let's cultivate balance. Balance is important in salsa. If you don't have good balance, you're not going to be able to do those, like, four turns in three counts. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do the the fancy dips and the, and you know, you're not going to be able to easily move your hips separately from your, you know, your shoulders, your upper body. Um, and so balance is key for dancing, but it's also just good to have in life, right? To feel that you're comfortable in your own body and you can move around with ease um, and that you're, you know, really aware of where you are physically that really taps into your mind and your emotions so if you're aware physically it's a little easier to be aware of where you are emotionally um so that's where i stand with dance and i love it so much and i love promoting it what does black and brown queer culture in vermont look like to you oh that's interesting um it doesn't look super cohesive to me um there are pockets i feel like there is the academic right black and brown queer culture uh which is sort of what i had uh, i think the most exposure to while i was a student right so people that worked at the university and identified as as queer and and as a person of color <clears throat> and that that was not the kind of culture i was a big fan of right um social justice is needed and is important and is great and i support that but uh i feel that a lot of times um universities and academic people who go into social justice or, or you know that kind of work tend to kind of cloud it with all this jargon and it's like if you really cut it down like if we're i don't know if we're connecting it to a current issue like immigration that mother who probably knows very little english doesn't care or really want to know about what you think of the hegemonic heteronormative paradigm right it's not you know thinking you know when people try and really philosophize and theorize and and use all this jargon like that's that's that has its value right in in philosophizing and thinking you know really conceptually about these issues but i i sense that they sometimes take that and bring it and try and bring it into more practical work practical you know activism right and that's not always useful. That's pretty that's pretty classist, um, I think. It can marginalize some people, and if they don't understand what you're saying because you're using big words, that you know, that doesn't make any sense and that doesn't help anyone and that doesn't really support the cause, right? So it's it's yeah, I don't really support that sort of more academic, um what I view as like classist, um queer POC culture, which I see sometimes specifically at universities, um, and academia and, you know, wealthier folk. Um and so there's that pocket, which I've been exposed to a lot and that I'm very critical of. There's the refugee pocket, right? There's a few, you know, we have a decent refugee po um, population here in Vermont. Um, and so I am very grateful for that because there's a lot of different, you know, Asian and, and African markets downtown and I get to enjoy that space. And 
honestly, most of them don't give a fuck that I'm wearing makeup and a dress <laughs> and I'm not definitely not passing as, you know, a binary cisgendered woman. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting just to see, you know, s- some people who can be super educated and, and think highly of themselves in this social justice field can actually be really marginalizing and, and not, I feel like the least supportive people. Right. And then, you know, I can go to the African market and I maybe understand half of what the man at the register is saying, but he definitely doesn't care that I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> He's just trying to sell me some plantains. I don't know. <laughs> so, and that, you know, that's where I sometimes get the most support is just from people who don't really care and will let me just do what I'm doing in their space and in their community. Um, so I don't know. That's sort of, I've seen a lot of different ways that queer POC culture can manifest in Vermont. And it's not always one that I can jive with. When do you feel most brown and out? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. <clears throat> this is why I downloaded that app. Um, <laughs> you know, to figure out when am I not dysphoric, right? That's actually one, one of the, you can edit the moods that you can um, choose in the app. Um, and I put dysphoric as one of them. And I haven't really felt a whole lot of dysphoria recently as I come into, you know, my own body and my own identity. So I don't think I'll be using that one as much, but I felt I should put, at least make that an option in case that happens again. So I can keep track of like, oh, what is it that made me dysphoric in this moment? Right. Um, but then, you know, on the opposite end, I don't necessarily know what, I mean, I didn't always know what made me dysphoric and I don't necessarily know what makes me feel the most brown and out. Um, I, I am pretty visibly queer on my day to day. Um, I don't know. I, (laughs) there's, I don't, I don't feel like there's a moment when I'm not Puerto Rican, right? I'm always Puerto Rican and I'm always queer. And so, um, maybe I, I might feel the most affirmed with other, you know, queer brown people. Um, sometimes, I don't know if I'm maybe even complimented, right? I was at a city market last night, I believe, and, um, you know, buying my food, and I think she was waiting till the end of the transaction, um, kind of intentionally, just so it, I don't know, it didn't uh, get in the way of the flow of me actually, um, you know, paying for the food, but uh, the cashier was a black woman, and, you know, as soon as I swiped my card, she list, she listed it. She said, your brows, your hair, your dress, and your necklace are amazing. <laughs> I was like, damn, okay, that feels good. Um, so, I, you know, I guess that might be an instance of, you know, me feeling really validated and affirmed by uh, other, you know, POCs. I don't know if she was queer or not, but, um, you know, persons have to be queer to sort of affirm me in my identity. Um when I'm, you know, with other, you know, LGBT-identified people of color is also great. I am super grateful for um, the recent hire here at the Pride Center, uh, Gustavo. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. <laughs> I'm just, I think we're going to vibe, you know, really well, you know, while, while I do a lot of work here and, and get more involved. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to see where all that goes. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Angel. It's been um, a real treat and a treasure. Thank you for having me.